0: In general, I think that if you wanna build an app to solve a problem, whatever that problem is, either you have to have the problem or you have to be faced with that problem a lot.
1: Hi everyone, welcome and thank you for joining me. My name is Franco Vriano and I'll be your host for the Tech Plus Art Podcast. Tech Plus Art is the community for curious individuals and creators who are looking to make a dent in the universe. Together, we're exploring the new frontiers of creativity, humanity, and how emerging technologies will continue to shape our culture, professions, products, and much more. Join me on this journey as we speak with artists, makers, researchers, designers, and creators from all backgrounds and fields. Tech Plus Art is an inclusive community, and we make our content for you, so we want to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, topics you'd like us to explore or contribute to yourself, reach out to us on Twitter or via the website. You can check us out at maketechart.com or at maketechart everywhere else. So with that out of the way, let's get to today's episode. Today, we're speaking with Monica Dinkulescu, an emojier at Google Brain, where she works on Magenta, an open source research project focused on making music and art with machine learning. So a big thank you to Monica for joining us today. Hey, Monica, thanks so much for being on the show today.
0: Hey, how's it going? So excited to be here.
1: Yeah, excited to have you. I'm really looking forward to being able to speak with you today and to learn a little bit about what you've been up to and your work with with Google on the Magenta project. But before we dive into all that, can you tell us a little bit about you? Like, Where are you from and what was it like growing up? Well, back in the 18 no, I'm kidding.
0: I am from originally from Romania, so I grew up in Romania and then I moved with my parents to Canada and then I lived in Montreal for university for something like 11 years. It's the city that I could call home now. And now I live in San Francisco because I had to escape the Canadian winters somehow. There's only so, much, so many winters that you can deal with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: and then, you know, growing up, normal childhood, I was a giant nerd, didn't want to go outside, read a lot of books. Classic
1: absolutely and so how did you get into tech and and doing you know what you do today
0: both of my parents are actually in tech and romania is like a very a country where like a lot of people go in tech especially a lot of young people we're a country that like encourage people to do math and once you do math there's not a lot of things you can do like you become some sort of an engineer with it so there was like a fairly i think at all points in my life everybody knew that i was going to do programming it wasn't like much of a question. So that's how I got into it. Everybody around me did it, so I did it too. Oh,
1: sweet. And so today you work with Google Brain on the Magenta.js project or just Magenta. Can you tell us a little bit about both of those organizations, maybe like what Google Brain's all about and how you guys decided to start building Magenta?
0: So Google Brain is a really big team at Google that does a lot of AI and machine learning research so they're mostly a research group. And inside of Google Brain, Vegeta has a small team, also researchers, but all of the research that we do is about sort of enhancing people's process with machine learning. So people like musicians or artists or creators, we're trying to like actually apply machine learning to them in ways that are useful. The analogy that we use a lot to explain this, because it kind of sounds weird, like a lot of people are working on like curing cancer and self-driving cars, and we work on like making music. But if you think about art is good. We've been making arts for like art for thousands of years. We're making music for thousands of years. But the tools that we use to do these things haven't really progressed. Painters paint in very similar ways that they did like hundreds of years ago. Maybe like the brushes have gotten better. Like Photoshop has gotten better. But we haven't fundamentally changed any of these things. And that's kind of what we're trying to look look at. Build smart instruments that can adapt to you, can sound like you, can help you like get out of creative rut. And that sort of thing.
1: It's really interesting. And so I think you highlighted a little bit there, but maybe we can dive a bit deeper. Like, what are some of the most interesting challenges that you're faced with in your daily work as you try to change those tools, as you try to give people access to, I guess, like, how do you apply machine learning to these new tools?
0: The punchline, whenever I explain machine learning, it sounds like much fancier than it is, but the punchline of like any machine learning story is that rather than you coding an algorithm to do something, like figuring out all of the rules in music and being like, there's like quarters and 16s and you can't have this kind of note after this kind of note. With machine learning, you basically feed an algorithm a ton of data and tell it nothing about that data. And it basically draws the conclusions on its own. So a lot of our generative models that generate music, they basically were fed a bunch of like piano performances or something like that. And they just learned what a piano performance sounds like, big air quotes around here. And they produce things that sound like that. So the biggest challenge with this is that we don't actually have this data. The kind of data that we use for machine learning, we've gotten really good at like pictures of cats, pictures of animals, weird insides of bedrooms, but we don't have really good guitar solos, like hundreds and hundreds of hours of guitar solos already. like that that's licensed well or now we can use so the biggest biggest challenge is finding this data to actually train algorithms on
1: so I'm sure throughout the course of building the this project magenta I mean it's been around for a few years at least what tools have you guys had to build or develop that helps you know create what you guys are trying to do for the end user, which is I guess like the musician, or ideally someone yeah. who knows nothing about music. Like what have you guys had to make beyond the algorithms to help people? That's, assess-
0: a, that's a really good question. So before I came on the team, this is like a like a little history lesson that everybody loves because it's so bad. The people who started Magenta are musicians, but they're fundamentally researchers. And a lot of machine learning research nowadays happens in Python. So the first deliverables, Magenta had these like awesome generative models, and they were like, Yeah, install this Python library and get it to like run and then run like 7,000 commands and then you get a MIDI file and a temp folder, obviously. And we had this like long collaboration with a band called Yachts that recently released an album actually using Magenta technology, but at first they were like, what do you mean I need to install this Python? Are you kidding me right now? And then they got collabs, which were a little bit better, but like, when you talk to them, they're like, they gave us all of this Python and we're not programmers, we're musicians. And they were like, just run these commands and we're like, what commands? So that quickly changed. And this is one of the reasons why Adam Roberts one of my team members started Magenta JS, which is Maybe Python isn't the right way to communicate with musicians, shockingly. Maybe if we build a more approachable library, like in JavaScript, for example, then people can start making sort of web interfaces or something like that to interact with these models. And this has been much better. So now we have like little web apps that you can use to make music. We have Ableton plugins because there's a way to connect Electron apps nowadays with Macs on Ableton. So I've actually managed to bring these like four of our models into Ableton as plugins. And Ableton, if you don't know what it is, can't blame you. like the Photoshop for music, it's where most musicians like spend their lives in. So it was really exciting to actually be able to put these like super interesting machine learning models, but like where the musicians actually live, which isn't in a room of snakes. It turns out.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, how big is the Magenta.js d- team? Like, are, you guys are obviously partitioned off from the rest so, of the team.
0: The Magenta team is something in between, like like around eight to ten people. The Magenta JS team, I would say, it's like two people. It's mostly me and Adam. But on like any given day it changes some people like work on different projects some people like work on 20% with us so it like it varies a bunch and we're super excited because because it's open source we get like community
1: contributions which is always really nice it's a huge bonus for sure and so I was gonna say like Mm -hmm. with Fiat and the example of their new album that just came out I was just reading the blog post the other day so we'll include that in the show notes so people can check it out but like did you get to hang out in the studio with them and see like how they worked with the stuff or
0: So they've been working on the album for a while. Before I I joined the team, I've only been on the team for a little over a year. So, I don't think they've hung out with them in the studio per se, but we have met with them a bunch of times. We got to listen to the album really early on. It was really interesting because, so we know really well what the models do. And like I've listened to them and they have like this particular like feel. And it was really interesting to notice how the band noticed those like weird quirks of the models and how they sort of worked around them because I thought they had really interesting rules. If you haven't read the blog post, it's basically all of the. Music is generated with a model that like looked at their past catalog and they were allowed to basically pick and choose from all of these like random generated samples. And they were allowed to delete notes and sort of modify the length of the notes, but they weren't allowed to add notes. So if something came out and sounded weird, they had to like pick lyrics to fit that sort of like weird cadence. They couldn't just get rid of it. And it was really interesting that they'd be like, and sometimes music VAE would come up with these sequences and the guitarist was like, I had to relearn how I was playing guitar because that's, or like how I was drumming because they had weird patterns that I'm not accustomed to. This is really interesting.
1: On that note, and some of the stuff that we've been touching on in terms of building new tools and changing the way creators make things, especially through the influence of technology, like what do you think is currently still missing in the industry? Like what do you wish existed or what are you guys trying to work towards in in terms of like what's the bigger vision, I guess?
0: that's a hard question there's like there's a lot of things that are missing I mean I'm a big cheerleader for the web I think everything should be on the web I think web is like the easiest medium to transfer audio on the web is really hard genuinely really hard getting like microphone input that works on all your browsers is literally impossible and I used to do a lot of spec work like work with a lot of spec authors in Chrome we focus a lot on making websites faster or like more accessible which is all great like it's really important but because I think the market for building music apps on the web is really small right now. Browsers don't focus on that very much. And that's kind of frustrating from the side of somebody who is trying to build music apps for the web. So that's kind of missing. If any like browser spec people are listening, please fix web audio better. <laughs>
1: Yeah, hopefully hopefully somebody's listening. And, uh, in
0: like 15 years.
1: Yeah, maybe. Who knows how long it'll take. But so so maybe from the angle of just more machine learning um in the hands of of more people, like what's missing and what is Magenta trying to do to to close that
0: So to get it in the hands of more people, we open source all of
1: our models. We
0: I mean, we obviously publish papers, but we are really big on always having... Like when we publish models that you can try them out, we at least have like a collab notebook. Uh, we recently released a really fun collab notebook for something called a music transformer. But I think with, with Magenta JS in particular, we're trying to make machine learning really accessible. So if you look at whenever we we try to open source one of these models in particular Magenta JS, which is built on TensorFlow JS, we try to pray all, all of the machine learning away basically. So like the API is very straightforward. It's like, it gives you a note sequence, which is like this arbitrary representation of music. And you don't have to worry about like the math behind it. You don't have to look at the tensors, all of like the floats that are happening. You basically like ask it to give you a sample and it gives you a sample. And we're trying to keep it very simple like that. So that even if you have no knowledge of machine learning, if you don't care about how the algorithm works, you should still be able to use that. There's a ton of engineers who are really creative. And a lot of the times we expect them to understand all of this math to work with machine learning. And I think that's absurd. Like I don't really understand how, I don't know, the networking stack of my computer works, but I can still write code on my computer. So we're trying to take a lot of those pain points away, I think, I hope.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. And so a second ago, you talked about building a lot for the web and building on the web just because of how accessible and and simplified that the tech stack is. So can you talk to us about like your creative process for building on the web? Um, some of the past projects that you've done kind of unrelated, you know, the whole concept of silly projects, silly ideas, and exploring. <laughs> can, can you talk to us a little bit about that? And I guess why you champion the web so much?
0: I champion the web because the URL to me is like fundamentally brilliant. The way I tell you to go check out something is I give you a sentence and you type the sentence somewhere and then you get these results and it's super quick. And it's like, you can do it from anywhere. You can do it from your phone. You can do it from your computer. But if we don't have the web, then we have these apps and there's apps that work on my phone, but not an Android. And they definitely don't work on my computer. Like iMessage works on like Mac computers, but not Androids. Like it's like this super fragmented ecosystem that enrages me. And I think as an app developer, it's crazy. You have to like write the same code in like three different languages so that it works on different machines. Why would I do that? Why would anybody choose to do that? So the web is the opposite of that. You write it once, it works everywhere. Like you can share it so easily. You can install it nowadays with PWA. So web is great and I will fight anybody who says it isn't. And I think in particular it like, because it's so easy to share, it allows me to sort of make what I call really silly things and sort of distribute them and not really worry about them. I call them silly because this is gonna be on my, when I'm I'm dead on my gravestone, Uh, Monica makes silly things, here's why. I call them silly because if you don't call them silly and you take them seriously, then people treat them very differently. We live in a society that's like taught us to judge things so I've been doing art all of my life. A lot of the art that I look at, I'm like, ooh, could I have made that? That means it's not really good, which is a terrible way to approach anything. So if I would call these projects like, you know, art experiments or anything like that, people will come and be like, is it a really art? Are you a Monet? Really? In the same neighborhood of, of activities here? I don't think so. So I don't call them any of that. I call them silly because when you're like, look at this silly thing that I built. It makes music out of bananas or something like that. People go in and want to have fun because you've already told them it's going to be fun. So they come in and they're like, sweet, I'm going to have fun with this. And that's really what I want people to do. I want people to enjoy the thing that I've made ultimately. So as a result, I build all sorts of things that basically let you produce something. It produces, I don't know, portraits with emoji or music or... What did I do recently? I I accidentally shipped a clone of Geocities this week. So that was fun.
1: That was, wow, okay. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean,
0: it, was, it literally came out. I was talking to a friend and we were talking about web rings and I was like, man, wouldn't it be fun if we had web rings on Glitch? And we just built them. It was great. So a lot of the silly things that I build are on Glitch because I find it's like a very non-intimidating community of people. And as a developer, it takes a lot of my pain points away. Like I don't care where my stuff is hosted. I don't care if it's going to fall down I really want people to look at the code so they can like get inspired by it and build something similar to it. And Glitch lets me do all of those.
1: So for that like creative exploration, that fun exploration of, of little mini projects along the way, like where does that come from? What are those ideas? Is it just random conversations? Is it identifying a pain point and being like, oh, I want to help try to solve that, but also inspire people? Like, Where, where are those ideas? It's
0: almost never a pain, pain point. So usually, the other thing that apart from silliness, I'm really big on rules. So for a while, before I came on the Magenta team, basically all of the silly things that I built had produced emoji in some sort of way. That was a That was basically my goal i really wanted to work with emoji because i thought it was really interesting at the time and so as a result i would make visual things for emoji and all of the questions there would be like what can i build if the target is emoji and then the things that you have to focus at that point are the experience that you're building not like what it's going to look like because i already know what it's going to look like it was full of emoji and now because i work with music my rules are that i pretty much only work with things that like take in midi or generate midi or try to like do something with midi and then this sounds like really pretentious but it's from like looking around the world and be like damn I just saw this like picture of an art I wonder if I can generate that from a melody and then I try to do that I one of my favorite things that I've ever built in my life is this project called Midi City 2000 that basically takes MIDI files and shows them as a cityscape with like different rows of buildings and then you get to control those buildings by like increasing the density between them removing some of the instruments and then that makes another melody out of it because you're just manipulating this like music representation and that was I think from just like looking at this like really abstract picture of a skyline and I was like oh that kind of looks like kind of like midi and then I have like bursts of time where I do nothing like there will be like three months and like I've had no idea and then one day I'll be like oh I should do this really weird thing
1: and so over the time that you've been with, with the Magenta team moving to work with Google what have been some of the biggest surprises or, or biggest like challenges that you weren't quite expecting like integrating into that type of work
0: Apart from like audio being hard, actually, honestly, audio is really hard. That's been a big challenge. Latency is really important. I used to take latency for granted for a long time. Headphones, I used to take headphones for granted. And I spent, and I shit you not, two hours, at least like 30 to 45 minutes of those was 100% debugging this like phantom latency that I had in my app that ended up being the fact that I was using Bluetooth headphones and nobody told me Bluetooth headphones had latency. Did you know they do, friends who are listening? <laughs> at least like 40 milliseconds
1: yeah like, if you, you edit see. podcasts you notice real quick
0: <laughs> exactly like the people who do this know and then i was just like all of this code like all of these libraries are broken they're so delayed and then somebody was like are you using Bluetooth headphones?" so it's all of these things that because i'm not a person who's ever edited music or made music on a computer with any technology i play the piano and like the ukulele i don't plug them into anything it's like a baptism by fire dealing with audio and audio latency, you basically have like no slack musicians tolerate like 20 milliseconds tops of latency and then they get incredibly grumpy. So working around that, there's it's not a lot of flexibility. Basically, anything you make in the web is like inherently blocking, but you can't block something like a metronome. You have to like always be responsive. So it's just really interesting technical challenges, in my opinion, that have nothing to do with what I'm building, but I still spend like three weeks trying to get this like one metronome working really well.
1: It's a huge challenge for sure. And so I guess like beyond what you guys have already done, what's been released, like, is there anything that you can... And tell us about sort of like generally what you're working on or what some of your focuses are or something that you guys are hoping to, to do in the next couple of months?
0: Yeah, so in general, Magenta works on like Magenta, the big team, the My Umbrella team, not me in particular. We work on like an area of three different things. And we basically do that all the time. We work on what we call symbolic music generation. So this is like producing MIDI, so producing compositions, things that sound like music, whatever their input is, producing audio. So things that sound like a piano or like the actual audio waveform of a piano, a guitar, something that's in between a piano and a guitar. And then we work on transcription. So from audio, can we get this symbolic music? So can we get MIDI and then use that for a symbol? It's like, but it's basically like this, these three things are always connected and we're always working on them. So, you know, we're always looking to generate better music. Music Transformer is a brilliant model that's able to like generate these performances that sort of like pay attention to what they've generated so they have these repeating motifs. But none of the models that we trained really know how to end the song, or they can just go on forever, but they don't have this like feel that melodies do that like have three minutes and then they end in a way that makes sense. So that's something that I'm always interested in, interested in personalizing these models. So even though we have this bridge trained model, can I feed it a little bit of my data so that it gives me personalized results? And I worked on this, I released a project called MIDI Meet recently, which basically lets you do that feed like a MIDI file and then it tries to give you samples that only Sound like that MIDI file, and that would be really helpful to you know musicians that want you know music that sounds like them. So we're always working on these things. We sometimes get ideas and like the ideas don't work. I don't even know what all the things we work on are. Okay. I am currently trying really hard to get models working real time in JavaScript. This is my current. Moby Dick. I'm so close.
1: I'm so close. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure you'll get there for sure. And, you know, read a blog post about that uh, in a couple of weeks. But yeah, like how do you guys see, I guess, some of this stuff? Cause you know, you're talking a lot about making tools for musicians. Like how do you see it going to a broader audience once you guys are quote unquote done helping musicians? Like what do you think the next step is to help just all kinds of creators or are there already some examples of, yeah, lo- like lower level, more general projects with it?
0: So I think that's a hard question mostly because we're not a product team. Mm-hmm. So we're, A couple of engineers and a bunch of researchers, and this is not really how you build products. This is why we open source all of the models, because I think there are better suited teams to do this. Like we don't have designers, we don't have product people, we have us, sort of. So I'm not sure that we are necessarily the people who should be solving all of these problems. I think we are the people who should be helping people solve these problems, but not necessarily build these apps that teach people how to play music or a little drum machine or anything like that. That being said, I like to think that a lot of the demos that I I build and the team produces are very accessible to non-professional musicians, especially because I'm not a professional musician, but I still want to have fun with music. So I try to build things that I would enjoy using. So I hope that we, we work on that a little bit, but I don't think that one of the goals that you will hear from us is that like a year from now we're going to produce this like badass app that's going to like blow everybody's minds mm-hmm. and teach everybody necessarily how to play the piano. We're going to help other teams do that but I don't think our that's our skills. Our skills is like producing those models and training those models and the math behind how that stuff works but not necessarily the, the sugar can you're going to click on. Absolutely.
1: Is that tragic? No, well, I don't think so. No, it's, it's a good distinction to make. And like, it helps bring focus to like, what do you guys, what are you trying to create? What are you trying to do? Right? And that's, that's always a big question. Yeah. So maybe just generally, like, if there's anybody who's looking to follow a similar path to yours, become a developer, make stuff, you know, are there any resources that you would point people towards to help kind of come down this like creative path, going to work at Google or working on the web or anything like that? Anything that you would point folks towards?
0: Oh man, so for the record, my path to getting to Google wasn't
1: like I came here for creative stuff. I came here working from a bank
0: six years ago. So it was it was a boring path. I just like slowly have been working towards this. I get inspired a lot by people who do data visualizations and generative art, not necessarily machine learning art, but just like algorithmic art. So Matt Delorie is a person that I really like. Shirley Wu is one of my friends and she makes brilliant things. And whenever I look them, I'm like, they're art, but they're like driven by Matt. Nadia Bremer is amazing. Georgia Loopy. So these are just people that I follow to see what they do because I'm always inspired. And I'm like, I want to make something that's as awesome as this. And I think especially if your goal is to be somebody who makes some sort of like generative art or like creative applications, surrounding yourself with creative people is really important because everybody sort of feeds off people's energies. In general, I think that if you want to build an app to solve a problem, whatever that problem is, either you have to have the problem or you have to be faced with that problem a lot. So for example, like me, a person who's like, who can hear, I should probably not be the person who's trying to solve deaf community problems on the web because I don't I don't have a way to test it and whatever my assumptions about this are, are probably incorrect. So the same way, if you want to build creative, if you want to be a creative coder, you have to be creative or know creative coders and sort of like figure out ways that would interest them. So surrounding yourself with like a community of creative people, I think is really important. Following them on Twitter, I spent a lot of time just looking at Dribbble, to be honest. Dribbble is this website where you can like look at other people's sketches and mocks for things. Whenever I'm in a creative rut, I just like put in nouns in there and just look at pretty things. And then for the actual coding part, I think, especially if you're like new to coding, coding is a little bit intimidating. And there's a lot of really brilliant apps that take the pain away, like Processing or P5JS or D3 even. For data visualization, though I have a love and hate 53. That's very strong on the hate side. Yeah, just find find libraries that you think are solving a problem that you have, because that'll help you focus more on like what you're trying to build rather than like how to write the code to do the thing. That's the thing that I really believe in: spending less time on like how to get this code to work and more time on like what this code needs to do. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does absolutely. A lot of good places to start. It helps kind of folks with you who are curious kind of go down those paths and and find the right tools and the right things that, that are good for them. So and so maybe just just to kind of cap things off, what is uh, some advice that you would share with other people? Something that you wish you knew when you started your career? Maybe how you made that you know that that slow unconventional path towards Google? Something that you realized along the way that that you could just share with the, the audience? I
0: think the thing that I wish young me would know was. God, so many things. I think the biggest thing that you learn as sort of like a senior engineer is how to find things and sort of accepting that you don't know the answers. When I was a junior, I was really intimidated by the fact that like everybody knew the answers to all the questions. And as a result, it made me like worried about asking these questions, because I was like, well, they already know, and they're gonna think that I don't know. And I think that's all a scam I think tweeted this as a joke but I think it's true the difference between like a junior engineer and a senior engineer is that I know what to search to find the answer to something like I know what to Google or where to look or who to ask because I've already like built this like weird connection of like I don't know the answers but I know how to get the answers and I wish young me was like more comfortable in being like I don't know how to do this but I'll figure it out real quick versus saying I know how to do this not knowing how to do it feeling bad about it and then figuring out how to do it anyway so just like I think a lot of junior people put a lot of pressure on themselves to just instantly be farther ahead than they are. And I think that like stresses us out and like causes us to burn out and like doubt ourselves and it's not particularly useful. So just Absolutely. embrace the fact that you don't know things and nobody nobody knows everything. No, I don't even know the things that I work on. If you ask me like Magenta JS APIs, I will not be sure about them.
1: Very valuable insight. That's awesome. Monica, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show today. I really appreciate having you and, and to hear your story and your insight on what you're working on. It's really exciting and looking forward to staying tuned.
0: Yay! Thanks so much for having me. This was fun.
1: Well, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Tech Plus Art Podcast. We're a very small team behind this project, so we greatly appreciate all your support. If you love our content and these podcasts, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend or two. This really does go a long way in helping us get discovered and reach more creators. As always, you can find us online at maketechart.com and at maketechart everywhere else. See you soon.